Greetings. Today we're going to be talking about what I would call a big court case that is in the Bible. And that is found in Romans chapter 3. Now, we can just, we're just going to go through Romans verse by verse. Romans chapter 3 verse by verse. Uh, and we're going to explain what it means basically that every mouth must be stopped and that the world must become guilty before God through the law. Uh, we've had an idea that the law is something that runs uh, together with cre Christianity today. I do believe that the law does work well in the whole process that God had with man and that is what I'm going to explain the process unto eternal life the process to get man to a place where they can see that God is right at the end of the day and that man was wrong that the devil is wrong and that God speaks the truth the devil speaks lies and that all of the systems of this world lies and doesn't have the truth and that what they promise they cannot produce but that God can promise what he uh, or that God can produce what he has promised from the beginning right I want to read uh, Romans chapter 3 and I'm going to go to verse 19 it um, it says here in verse 19 now we know that whatsoever things the law says it says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. And then verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now the word guilty in verse 19 is only used once in the New Testament, and that is right there. There's no other bearing that we can have in scripture on how that word was used to see the meaning of that word. So the only way we can really understand what that word means is to go and find in, the, in Jesus' times where it was used in other literature. And that word guilty there was used in court cases where somebody was found guilty. In other words, worthy of judgment. Now we're going to look at that later on what the true meaning is of that is and what all of that talks about but what I want to say is it talks about Paul is using a language here that he doesn't use anywhere else uh, that word guilty he's used nowhere it's not even found in the whole of the Septuagint meaning the Greek of the the Greek Old Testament does not even have that word so it's only used once here by the Apostle Paul and the reference to that is a court where somebody has to defend himself and the meaning of that word would basically be uh, the condition of someone that is not able to defend his position where he has to acknowledge that he was wrong uh, that is what it basically means so it says here that the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, we would hate to think of a court wherein God is on trial, but this is basically what I believe Romans chapter 3 has 
in the in the undertone of the writing because he is using court language wherein he says that God gave the law and then through the law he proved that man was not able to defend the position that he was standing in. Now you might say, Bertie, I don't exactly know what you're talking about. We're going to go through all these verses and we're going to explain that. Now let's read from verse 1. Now those of you, just a, a reminder, if you want the notes for, this, uh, for these messages, I give quite detailed notes uh, with or about the Wednesday, Thursday before the service, the Sunday service, you can get a hold of it. Please send an email to info at dynamicministries.com and ask for the notes and we will send it to you every week. Romans 3.1 says, What advantage then has the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now that word oracles there means prophetic words. So the law was the laws were given unto the Jews, but that was actually a prophetic word, prophesying, saying, "Listen, there's a Messiah coming," and that was also prophesying that a man will be found as believing a lie. Now we're going to explain more of that. Verse three: For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith or the faithfulness of God without effect? God forbid. Yes, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it's written, that you may be justified in your sayings and that you may overcome when you are judged. Now those words sound so complicated. When we read our Bible, we read that and we just say, God, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what this whole thing is about. Uh, Paul coming and quoting verses in Scripture, saying, I mean, he was quoting here, I think, from, verse, from Psalm 15 or 16, somewhere there. And he was saying that, let every man be a liar and God be true. And then if you can confess and say, I am a liar when you are judged, then you will overcome because you have spoken the truth. Now, that sounds not right. What is going on here? Let me say this again. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Let that be your confession so that when you are judged and you can say every man is a liar and God speaks the truth that you will not lie because that is the truth. The truth is that God has spoken the truth. Now where does Paul get this whole concept from? Of God speaking the truth. He gets it from Genesis uh, 2.17 and then Genesis 3 verse 1. And we're going to turn in our Bibles to that. Genesis 2.17. Where does this whole thing come about that God, we should not make God out to be a liar. Let's go to Genesis. I think some of you can already pick up what I'm going to say. Genesis 2 and verse 17. 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. So what did God say unto Adam? He said unto Adam and Eve, Listen, you are not allowed 
to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for my judgment or I am of the judgment or another way of explaining that is to say I'm of the opinion that should you eat of that you will surely die. That was what God said. So here God made man. He made man as his image. He put man upon the earth. He gave him life. But what he basically said to man is, you are not a self-existing being. You don't have life in yourself on account of yourself. But you can live forever on account of me. But on account of your own doing, and digging into yourself using your own power, you're not going to have that. You will surely die. And that God said. Now the question is, is what God has said true? Or is it not true? How will you know? It was tested. The, that which God said was put to the test. And we find that the devil does that in chapter 3. We read here, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord thy God made. And he said unto the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent. So that was just a basically a different way of saying, Did God say you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. So what is he saying here? He is saying, God lies. God is not telling the truth. God said that the only way wherein you can have life is by him, and should you want to live by yourself, then you will not have the ability to live forever, but you will basically return to the dust. And the devil comes and he says, that is not true. That is a lie. And that is why God says that the devil was a liar from the beginning. He came and in the beginning of man's walk with God in the earth, he came and he lied. And now, we sit with this, it's almost like a court case. God says, you cannot live forever by your own works. The devil says, you can. Now, the next thing God does is he says, okay, if you want to live forever by your own works, let me give you a system whereby we can test if what you say is true. And then if God can bring that system to test what the devil has said and then what man believed, if it can be tested and found to be false and man can see that he has believed a lie and he can confess his sin, he can confess the lie, what does he do in confessing that you cannot live by your own works and that God was right? What does he do by that? He acknowledges God as the life giver, God as the one that is true, and so he has got access again unto eternal life. So can you see how the law will work together with 
God's plan in how to save man. Because all of a sudden, I mean, let me put it this way. God has always been full of life. He's never lied. He's always spoken the truth. And here he comes and he speaks the truth about the, uh, the ability of man to have eternal life by himself. And he says to man, listen, I want you to know one thing. You cannot live by the wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't have that life. The devil says, God lies. And what happens? We read here um, in verse 5 that he says, For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, you shall be as gods or as the image of God, knowing good and evil. Now let me explain good and evil. I think last week I touched a little bit uh, on that. Good and evil works like this. When, let's use business. When you believe in God and you trust upon Jesus and your heart is towards Him, God gives life to you. And from that life, you do business. The business that you then do is permeated with the life that you have received from God. And that life that you have received from God makes you deal well with your workers. And you find that your workforce, the people that work for you, respect you and so forth. You treat them fairly. Now someone else can come and say, well, let's look at how much, let's say your name is John, how much life John has in his business. His business is flourishing, he's doing well, he's got a very good relationship with his workers. He's got 50 people that work for him, there's a good relationship. What does he do? And then you can go and look at how John greets people in the morning, how he honors them, how he sticks to the, um, to the, to the system, how he is who he is. And you can go and document that. Now, that would be wisdom. That would be wise. I mean, well, let me put it this way. That would be, if we look at the life of John, you would look at a life of a wise man. He's believed in Jesus. God gave him life. That life is now in his business. And the business actually now finds life from God as the source of life. This life that's in the business brings forth a certain way of life, which we will say, if we look from an outside perspective, is to know what is right and what is wrong, how to treat people, how to do deals, and so forth. Now, if you, if you go and look at that whole system and you say, let me look at what John did. Let me look at how he did the right thing and not the wrong thing and so forth. And let me jot that down and use that as now a source to get life into someone else's business. That will kill you. And that's what God basically said. God said, listen. You cannot have life without me. I will bring life to you. And the life that I live in and through you, never go and look at how I live in and through you and then think that those actions are the source of the life. That's what he was saying. Now, that is why <coughs> when God gave the law, 
he had to give good actions to do because the law, the, the actions of the law, which would be kindness and love, things like not committing adultery and fornication, not desiring other people's stuff and so forth, those were the things that God manifests. I mean, that's how God lives. God doesn't desire another man's things. He is content in himself. He lives a life of love. He lives a life of rest and so forth. So God said, well, if you are saying that you can live by the good that I can, or let me put it this way, if you can live by good works, let me show you the good works that you will have to do in order to reverse engineer this whole system. And that's why many people in the Bible find difficulty with the teaching on the fulfillment of the law. Because they will say, don't you think that if you're under Christ, that you will not commit adultery? So what's wrong with saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, since Christ is going to bring that forth anyway? So let us go and preach, thou shalt not commit adultery, because Christ is not against that. Because that is a fruit of the gospel. The thing is, you are changing the source. You cannot take the fruit as the source. You must take the river that gave the tree life as the source. And God said that you cannot have life by doing good. What he said is that I will give you life. And because you have life, you will do good. It will be me living in you now that was said by the devil to be a lie and here was god and we had to now look at is god right or is he not right and the thing god said is well let's test it and we find that from adam to moses nobody attained unto eternal life Nobody. Then God gave them commandments. He gave them a kind of a help to show them, listen, you guys don't know what to do here, but let me now give you a set of rules by which you can now try. Let me give you, get you a little bit closer to what these actions should look like. Then they tried to do that for many, many, many years. They tried to do it and found no man, by living through the law, found bodily immortality wherein he could rule over sin and death. No one. Which at the end of the day means and concludes that God, when his logic was tested, and what he said was tested, was found not to be a liar but that he spoke the truth. And that man, in all of his wisdom, wherein he said, no, we need to have these laws, we need to have these sacrifices, we need to do all these things, then we will have life. All the mouths, all the different schools of thought and teaching was by the law proven to be lies and not true. And now God comes and in the resurrection of Jesus, he shows that he can take a man that became all sin, raise him from the dead, wherein this man did not have his identity in his obedience to the law, but in the Father that has given eternal life unto him as a promise. 
And through that man Jesus, we find that all of man becomes liars and is declared as liars. The resurrection and the law leading unto the resurrection, we can now see that no man can justify his position in believing that I shall have eternal life by the law. If you say that I can have life by my works, prove it. You cannot. God said that a man that doesn't have eternal life in him inherently by his own works, but comes in the likeness of sinful flesh, if he just trusts me, I can raise him from the dead. And God proved it. So we now sit with the proof that God has on the one side and the proof that the law brings on the other side. And we see that it was proven that no flesh can be justified by the works of the law, but that the only justification or giving of life that there can be is when we believe that God can give it, we shall be justified. We shall have that life and it shall also be proven as true in our lives. So, with that in mind, we're going to read Romans 3 again. <clears throat> it says here, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? So what he's saying here is that there were Jews in the Old Testament. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. But does that now change God's ability to raise the dead or to give eternal life to man? It says, God forbid, no. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it's written, that you may be justified in your sayings and that you may overcome when you are judged. So in other words, if you're standing before judgment, say this. Now I will still explain that judgment. Don't think God is now judging you. What are you saying? That kind of a thing. Please don't think of it like that. But if it comes to you having to declare what's right and wrong, rather say this, that I have missed it, humanity has missed it, Adam missed it, the devil lied, he missed it, everybody and all the systems of the world, the law system, the Jewish system, the Gentile systems with all their idols and everything, they all missed it, none of them can produce eternal life. God was right all the time. We are liars. We, we did not get it right. And in saying that, you will be right for the first time. You'll be justified in your saying. You'll be correct. I hope you see the logic that Paul is following there. <clears throat> the context in the notes there of uh, verse 4 there is, uh, the context is the faithfulness of God unto salvation and the lies of the Jews that a man can be saved by being a Jew, the lies of the Gentiles in their idol worship, where there no idol could save any man. And you can also go and look at all of this, where the Gentiles was declared as unprofitable in what they did in bringing eternal life to man. You can read that in Romans 1, verse 18 to 32. And you can read the very same case is true in the life of the Jews. And you can read that in Romans 2 verse 17 to 19 where it says that the Jews are as guilty. Why? Because the Jews said we have a way unto life and we are a light unto the Gentiles in how to get them 
to have eternal life. But now they take the law and they judge the Gentiles as sinners, actually saying that they cannot get it right to have the Gentiles to live. They cannot be a light unto them, meaning that they disqualify themselves. They themselves are liars, and those that they try to lead unto life are also falling into the ditch. And that is why the Bible says the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were seeking to be a light unto the Gentiles. He said, you are the blind leading the blind, and then both of you fall into the ditch. That is what he was basically saying. Now, um, when a person is judged is when an opinion of what he professes is going to be formed. So, when someone is judged, in other words, let's say um, somebody is caught, somebody is uh, judged and is brought to trial that he stole something. He says he is innocent. Now, he's going to be questioned, cross-examined. It's going to be tested. Is what he said true? It w it's going to be tested by the lawyers, by the advocates and the cross-examination. It's going to be tested. And then an opinion about what he says is going to be formed. So we find that when we are judged by the law, if we are judged by God in giving the law, if you want to put it that way, this is the judgment. God is now bringing forth something that we can form an opinion about what we've believed. It is tested. Is it true or not? Should it not be true, God is not there to kill us because his, his verdict, or not verdict, his opinion from the beginning was, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die anyway because you don't have this eternal life in yourself. It is something that I give from the outside. It's something you can have eternal life on account of me. Then man said no. Then God tests that. Why? So that man's eyes can open up, that they can see their inability, so that they can believe upon him, so that they will not die but have life. Can you see how the judgment of God is unto victory? The judgment of God is not unto destruction, but the judgment of God is unto victory. The Bible says, A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flux shall he not um, uh, blot out. He's not going to kill it. Why? Until he brings judgment unto victory. That is what he wants to bring forth. Okay, we're going to continue. And um, we're going to verse 5. Romans 3, 5 says, But if our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? I speak as a man. Very difficult scripture to understand. Um, but you will see the title I've got in there is Paul Offering. Now I say Paul Offering. It was actually, uh, yeah, it is Paul Offering a rebuttal in the cross-examination of the Jewish arguments and sarcasm. So what Paul is saying is, this is the way it worked. He preached and said, we as Jews, we were found sinners through obedience to the law. We were found that we don't have eternal life. Now they were saying, well, how can God say that we are wrong in uh, not obeying the law if the law was now given for the purpose of actually showing our inability? That means we are right. Therefore, we're not needing a Jesus to save us because we were already righteous in not 
uh, getting it right. That is basically what he is saying here. <laughs> so Paul comes with a, a counter-argument, and he is showing that the vengeance of God is described as finding the Jews um, sinners and just as worthy as the death of the Gentiles. And why would the Jews then be disobedient in declaring God righteous through their disobedience? That's what they're saying. And what they are saying is, why should we then leave the law? Why should we stop with the law? We don't have to stop with the law because the more we continue in sin or the more we continue in the law, the more we are showing that God was right from the beginning. And they were like looking for a loophole to keep to the law system because they hated the idea of they not being God's blue-eyed boys, but that they are in the very same light as all the Gentiles. Now, I've written that beautifully there in the notes. You can go and look at that. <coughs> vengeance, the, the, the word vengeance, because we look at God taking vengeance on Israel and we think of vengeance as God destroying people, burning them in hell, and doing all of that. But that is not what he is saying. What he is saying here, and the context of vengeance here, is basically found in Romans 11, wherein God said that Israel will not be my light anymore. He never said that he will not save Jews. He never said that they cannot be saved. It was understood that Jews cannot be saved by people in Rome, and that's why Paul wrote Romans 11, to correct that understanding, wherein the Gentiles said, well, God has rejected you Jews. You can never be saved whatsoever. The vengeance of God is on you. You haven't been a light to the Gentiles. He had to come and be a light himself unto the Gentiles. Therefore, you Jews are cast out never to have life. That's what many of these Gentiles believed, and they hated the Jews. And the reason why they hated the Jews was because the Jews were really thinking they're better than other people. That is what took place. The Gentiles hated them. They, the Gentiles had gods and they all tolerated one another's gods. But the Jews said, no, 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 there's only one God. All of you are wrong. We are the people of God. You are not. And you must do what we say. And unless you are a Jew... You don't have salvation. And the only way you can be saved is by becoming a Jew. That would almost be like saying, well, because I'm white, I'm special to God. And unless you become white, you can never be special to God. People will hate you. Now, these Gentiles hated the Jews for, um, for what they preached. And therefore, the Christian Gentiles, after they got saved didn't even tolerate the Jews anymore. They would say, well, let me put it this way. The, the, the early Christians did love the Jews. That was the love of God that was shared abroad. But then a teaching started to be formed that these Jews, God has cast them out. The vengeance of God is upon them. But here, the Jews basically have that and they bring that to the table. And Paul offers in his rebuttal, in the cross-examination of what Paul says, he comes and he's saying here, he says, uh, when it talks about the vengeance, he says that is because the Jews were saying God is wrong in having vengeance on us. If he gave us the law to show that man is not able to live by his own works and we have now proven what God has said, why is he taking vengeance on us and casting out us out as his people? Doesn't make sense. 
That's what he's saying. Now, when people read that and they read the word vengeance, many of us read that vengeance as God killing you, God destroying you. Now, it is true that the whole concept of the Jewish people being the people of God and then through them we will find light and all of that and that it continues like that forever, that has now ended, that was destroyed. But God never destroyed the person. His life is still towards the Jew as an individual. So we can never take that word vengeance and use it outside of its context. You know, context is so important. I uh, listened to a video of an atheist that looked at Scripture and how this guy interprets Scripture. And he uses the Scripture and reads the passage. I'm not going to do it now, but to explain that passage because I want to get off the point. But he uses the Bible to say that the Bible shows that it is better to have abortions than to have babies. And that the Bible says we can have abortions. And he uses two passages in Ecclesiastes for that. And then he uses a passage that says that if you beat your wife and she loses her child because the, uh, uh, you, you've beaten your wife, then you will pay a fine. That's it. You're not gonna, it's gonna, but if you, damage, if you hurt the wife, in some way. In other words, if you've beaten her in a way that she loses her baby, but she doesn't have marks on her, then you're going to pay a fine. But if she's got marks on her or has been injured in some way, then uh, you can pay with your life. Saying that the life of a baby is not worthy of life. That's how they interpret Scripture. I mean, they've got, they take the Bible, they read that. Then I go and I look at that passage and I see that the guy doesn't understand the context. The context is everything. So when we look at the vengeance of God here described towards uh, the, 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 the Jews, we have to see it inside context. Whenever we see vengeance, we have to see it inside context. Thaya definition of vengeance there is to bring upon or to bring forward or to use, it's used of accusers, to lay upon, to inflict, to bring upon, in other words, addition, to add, to increase, to put upon, to cast upon, or to impose. So what he was saying here is, how can God come and impose that we are sinners and then deal with us in a way wherein he's casting us out as his people if we've done him a favor in not obeying the law, in showing that he is true? Then he goes on and he says, uh, Paul goes on and he says, listen, um, if it cannot be so, how will God bring judgment, his judgment, which was from the beginning, which is that only through him eternal life can come to all people outside of doing that? That is what he is saying. I'm not going to go more into depth into that. You can just see verse uh, 3, verse 6, it says that if God does not put forth the true purpose of the Lord, declaring Jews and Gentiles as liars and all things as subject to death, with God, um, as the only one speaking the truth, how will salvation come to the world? How will they see his righteousness and declare that is declared in Genesis 2 already? It would be impossible. Now it goes on, and um, I'm going to 
let us let us read verse 7 we're not going to make uh, be in a hurry here it says verse 7 for if the truth of god has a has more abounded through my lie unto glory why yet am i also judged as a sinner can you see how the jews argument is we've done right how can i be declared as not worthy of eternal life they were thinking we're worthy of eternal life in being an example that we cannot keep to the law so why will we now need the death and the resurrection of jesus these people were very very uh focused on works they were saying we've done the right thing they couldn't see their own blindness they couldn't realize that they were just as much part of the problem as what the gentiles were uh they all needed salvation they were just uh uh, not accepting it and then it says here and not rather as we are slanderous reported and as some of you affirm we saw let us do evil that good may come whose condemnation is just so they said let us then continue in the law let us continue with the evil let us continue with the bad that good may come that more people can see and they thought that by continuation of the law then they can actually do god a favor where he says, no, the idea is that you can come to a point where you see you are just as much part of this death and that you need the Messiah. The Messiah is not saving you from the Gentiles, but saving Jew and Gentile from death, giving eternal life to man. Let's go to um, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no way. For we have proved that both Jew and Gentile, they are all under sin. Both Jew and Gentile are under the system where they cannot have life by their own works. And now, if we go and look at verse 10 to 19, I'm going to go quickly through this. And I've said all of this to actually just explain one thing. And that is that all the world may become guilty before God and that every mouth may be stopped. So we found that the Gentiles had a mouth, a doctrine they were preaching. The Jews had a doctrine that they were preaching, but that their doctrine can be stopped by the proof that it cannot produce eternal life. So that the whole world can come to the acknowledgement that God spoke the truth from the beginning and that he now raised Jesus from the dead and that we now acknowledge him as the Lord, as the true one, and not our own system. And through that, we find salvation. Let's read verse 10. As it's written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one that understands. The context here is now to get people to live forever. There's no one righteous. No one has gets it right to bring eternal life to man there's no one that understands there's no one that seeks after god there's no because the right way would be seeking god they weren't seeking god they were seeking their own righteousness they were seeking obedience to the law uh, 3 verse 12 <clears throat> they are all gone out of the way they are all together become unprofitable so you see what he's saying is what profits it the jew to follow the law it doesn't give me eternal life what profit has the gentile in worshiping his idols nothing they are all unprofitable it says there is none that does good no not one that does good here is not connected in obedience to the scriptures or the laws the done good here is in connection with can you bring immortality can you bring life no one no one 
Their throat is an open grave. Can you see? He's talking about speaking now. He's talking about doctrine. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips. This is what he's saying. And he's now quoting from the Psalms, and he is saying, listen, and this, by the way, is the longest piece of Scripture quoted by Paul, verse by verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. The longest piece of Scripture quoted by Paul. This is what he quotes. I mean, if he takes a whole piece just like that, he wants to say something. He is saying, no Jew, nor Gentile, no system, nothing that was preached could ever bring eternal life. We see that. We see they are unprofitable. They are good for nothing. They are, um, th- their, their throat is an open grave. Can you see he's, he's using the analogy here and using the scripture cleverly in a way where he is playing off death and life. What God said in the beginning in Genesis, it was all about life and death, the promise of bodily immortality. He says their throat is simply the message of the grave. It leaves people in the grave. With their tongues they have used deceit, deceit referring back to how Eve was deceived. The poison of, of snakes is under their lips, going back to the garden again, the lie in Genesis chapter 3, whose mouth was full of cursing and bitterness, whose feet are swift to shed blood. He says you are quick to shed blood. Why? Because you say, well, let's stone this one, let's kill that one, let's do this, let's do you sh- You're shedding blood. You're not saving blood. You're not saving anybody. That's what he's saying. Destruction and misery is in their ways. We can see the Jews and the Gentiles, the only thing that is in front of them is destruction. Destruction is in their way. There is no proof of eternal life. But God, that has promised eternal life 2,000 years ago, raised a man from the dead, proving his truth. And through the Old Testament has given enough time for man to see that it is not possible <laughs> to be saved by his own works. It's not possible. You cannot. It says here in verse 17, And the way of peace have they not known. They haven't known a way wherein man can have the peace of eternal life wherein man can have harmony with God. Harmony with God can only truly be defined as immortal, as Jesus is, at the right hand of the Father, where the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. Verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, listen to this, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world That word world there is the Greek word for cosmos. The cosmos. That the cosmos may become guilty before God. Or in other words, um, that everything in this world that promises eternal life, that it can be portrayed as it cannot. 
that God was true and that Adam and whatsoever he ruled over and whatever he thought he would do, the things of this world, uh, maybe if you want to go into dietary laws and all those kind of things and eating right thinking that from the cosmos, from this world and the earth and everything that's under this world, which would be defined as the Jewish world, the Gentile world, the world of the humans, and whatever the humans would have rulership over or uh, dominion over, that all of that can become guilty, or in other, in other words, if you take the court here, and this is the crux of what I want to say, if God stands in, in front of the uh, judge, there is no judge that he can stand in front of anyway, but if God would stand in front of a judge, that he would be seen as righteous in what he has said about eternal life, and that man and everything he wanted to use may become guilty in this sense, declared liars in connection with what God has said from before, from the beginning. That is what it's all about, that the whole world might become guilty before God. And therefore, because of this that God has done in giving the law and also in raising Jesus Christ from the dead, we know clearly that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Because no flesh shall ever be justified before God through the works of the law. Never. It is impossible. What? How can flesh become immortal and be proven right in the sight of God? Because if you want to be righteous in the sight of God, you need to produce immortal human flesh. That's what you need to produce. God said, you can only have life by me. Man said, no, we can have life by our works. So if you want to be righteous, if you want to be right and just, and justified in your saying, what will you have to produce? An immortal human. Now, who has ever, by the law, produced an immortal human? No one will ever even dare to try. We know our inability. No flesh shall be justified before God. Now, um, justified means... To be rendered righteous or to bring the proof of your righteousness. There I've got the, the, uh, the Greek word for you there, entire definition. So if you want to be justified by the flesh or through the works of the law, what you have to do is you have to prove your righteousness. And the proof of your righteousness is that you will not surely die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you enjoy this message, but I enjoy this. Man, I've studied this thing out the whole week. Uh, it, it just touches my heart so much to see the equity of character, wherein when man questioned God, God didn't say, well, I'm just destroying you, I hate you, I destroy you, where God comes and he says, listen, if that's what you say, let's test my son. If what you say is true, so that you can see, so that you will not be annihilated, not by God, but by your very system. Do you know that from the day Adam sinned, a process of annihilation was started? Not by God annihilating anybody. 
but by the, the system ha- not having in- eternal life inside it. And therefore, the end of it is annihilation, which scientists will go and tell you that is what's going to be. The end of it all is going to be a cold universe where there's no energy, only death, nothing. If, if there is not a God. Now, they don't believe in a God. That's why that's their conclusion. That's why I say, uh, enjoy now because there's going to be nothing more for you anyway. But we know there is a God. And he has, in the middle of time, proved what he said. And he is justified in the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus was justified in his resurrection, for he trusted the Father. And we cannot be justified by the law, for we cannot produce an immortal human. So now we can be justified in this saying, saying, We've lied. We have not believed the truth. God was right. And you know what? As we believe then that Jesus was raised from the dead and we see the evidence of God and we believe upon that and say that he is Lord over all death and that includes my life of death and my sin, you know what will, be, what will happen? You will be justified. In the right thing that you've done, which was to believe God. And the way God will justify you is by proving that you were right, and that is to raise you from the dead in the last day through Jesus Christ, giving you immortality. Glory to God. Amen. Well, there is a lot in this. If you want to go and read the proof of righteousness, you can basically see read that from Romans 1, verse 16 and read 17 in the notes there. I've got a good explanation of that where it quotes Habakkuk there. Uh, Beautiful. But I'm going to end it here and pick it up right here next Sunday and then go on and explain the rest of Romans chapter 3, which is beautiful. I want to thank you so much that you've watched this message. Uh, Please share this with friends. If you've watched this on YouTube, uh, put a like if you've liked it. It, it put a dislike even if you've disliked it if you've liked this put a like it does help with search engines to get it to the top uh, quickly if there's a lot of likes on it thank you so much and know that god loves you he cares for you and he is not here to come and bring a vengeance to you to destroy your life his vengeance was towards the lie to prove to humanity that they're under a lie so they can believe the truth so they can have eternal life. Glory to God. Thank you so much for watching and then I will see you.